is it about being proactive that we find challenging? Maybe do we like being reactive? I'm Karen. I'm Andrew. Welcome back, Andrew. For our listeners, you'll hear that it's Andrew this week and not Nula, because Nula is currently working with our client in Turkey. Andrew and I co-hosted on episode 021, where we spoke about safety culture and metaphors. And in fact, it was a story we shared about our particular cohort of work that we were on is culture of vibe. So Andrew and I have been working together on a global safety leadership project for the past three years and still continues on to this day. Together, today, we are the safety collaborators and our mission is to help people have better conversations and change the way they think about safety. So let's get on with the show. So why don't we spend money, time, energy, whatever it is that we need to be more proactive? Andrew, I'm going to hand over to you because we've got an interesting (laughs) background story to this, but let's just chat about what that is. You know, we often hear everybody saying, oh, let's be proactive, let us do this. But when it comes to the crunch, why aren't we? The thing that's in my head right now, Karen, as we were saying this just now before we came on, this is quite a traditional type of safety question. It sounds a bit old school, moving from reactive to to proactive sounds like a conversation or a a challenge we've been facing for for quite a while. So it's quite interesting to to come back to it almost. It is. Um, yeah, you're quite the right. That you, the question you posed at the beginning there about why is it we, we seem to be a little bit reluctant to be proactive is an interesting one. I don't think it's that people don't want to be proactive, is, but we do hear a lot of times when you're talking to people just about you know their current situation in terms of safety, we still hear, um, oh, I don't really have time to do that. And it feels as if somehow or other their time is being stolen doing other things that that are still more important, which is, as we say, a very kind of traditional sort of old school situation with regard to safety. You and I talk quite a lot about capacity. Um, It's one Mm. of your, it's related to trust. And I've always liked that idea that how do people spend the the resources they have with with their people? This is a bit of a capacity question. How do we spend our time, money and resource on being more proactive. So I've sort of got two things going on inside my head at the moment. The first is about what are we like as as individuals that means that we find it easier to be reactive Mm -hmm. um, or indeed that maybe we like being reactive. And and I can see a huge argument for that. You know, when you you come in in the morning to do your job, you think, okay, what should I do today to be effective? That's quite a tough question to answer. And ping, an email comes in asking you for a report or to answer a problem or or deal with an issue. And you go, ah, problem solved. I'll go and do that. And immediately we've come into reactive. Um, we love solving problems, you know. I, I think you're so right there. Just as I was listening to you, I suddenly thought, I'm one of those people. <laughs> I like being reactive, you know, because I think maybe it gives us a sense of achievement or it's like, oh, I can help in some way or, you know, maybe we like to, yeah, I think you're right. You know, we like to solve problems in the here and the now. 
And coming back to your statement about when we get to work in the morning, we think, right, what do I need to do for my day? Now, there are some of those out there who are very organized and very planned and they follow their structure and struggle when we're not being proactive. But I think the majority, <laughs> I think there's more of us that are a little bit more, okay, something's come in. I need to do it. Yes, I know I've got to do that thing over there. However, this is seemingly more urgent. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's the thing. It's the urgent things that uh, that, that kick in and, and take over because they're time-bound. Mm. Um, I, th- mm. I think it also you and I deal with a lot of people who are very close to the customer in, in some way. Yes. Um, you know, they're in the field. They're working for the customer. And, of course, if that customer says, I need you to do this now – then the now is what you hear, not, well, actually, is that important? Will that have an effect? Will that mm. move things on? We just hear the now piece. And, and so that's mm. that's entirely understandable. Mm. Um, but still, literally every week, I'll have a conversation with somebody who will say, well, you know, I feel that I've not really achieved anything today. I suppose that's because we have in our heads, well, things I should be doing, but, you know, the reactive firefighting stuff. I mean, I've been incredibly busy, but um, not necessarily move something on. I mean, and, and you and I know whenever we speak to people about what action are they going to take from a safety perspective in terms of mm. change, and we say, well, what might stop you? They will immediately say time. Yeah. Um, then they'll say resources, and then they'll talk, start talking about, well, the job gets in in the way you know so it's understandable mm. that that reactive thing um, mm. is, is kind of still there so so that was the first thing that was in my head and that's that's pretty challenging the second was what do you do to get people seeing that slightly differently what do you do to to kind of nudge them in a slightly different direction and that reminded me of a, of a client used to work with a number of years ago who had something built into their management system around loss not just safety loss but any loss and that when you had a accountable manager if there was a loss within their remit they had to identify the red green and blue money mm. associated mm. with that loss mm. uh, now on the face of it that sounds like it's just simply management recording of financials exactly it was an element of that but i think the more important thing was how did that push people to being proactive so the red money associated with that was to do with the direct cost of the loss so if they broke a piece of equipment that was pretty easy you measured how much it cost to either repair it or replace it the green money was always the biggest number which was what's the consequential loss of that comes from something happening like that. And of course, then you start thinking, well, actually, if that happens again, we might lose the contract. That potentially was a f- huge figure. But, but the real kicker, the real important question was, what's the blue money? What could you have, or should you have spent to prevent that happening or prevent that happening again? And that was always small. It was not a huge number. But that was really just to demonstrate, well, actually, if, if you spend a bit of resource up front, that mm-hmm. loss might never have happened. And that resource is never as big as you think it's going to be. You know, when people say, well, I don't have the time, I don't have the resources to be proactive or do that safety thing. When something goes wrong, you suddenly realize, well, actually, uh, it, it wasn't as big a figure as I thought. So while it was a, a management tool, I, I think it was slightly more complicated and more challenging than that because it seriously got people thinking about that proactive decision to do something before 
stuff goes wrong. People suddenly start spending blue money. Well, I think there's this inbuilt thing. If it, maybe it comes back to this: if it if it ain't broke, don't fix you know, don't fix it type yeah. stuff. So that, that bit of mentality there. It made me think. I was listening to you. It made me think about pre-job planning, leading indicators. Mm-hmm. It, it made me think about those elements in our day-to-day operations, that if we do those, then generally we have a more successful outcome. Mm-hmm. So pre-job planning became a very big conversation. To me, that's blue money in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. So if you think of JSAs and permits yeah. and all of those things, now people may bemoan some of those elements because they think, oh, but they're taking time or it's not warranted for this particular task because it's just a small task. But the consequences, if those small tasks go wrong, then turn into, well, I guess green money, if not red. So helping people to see that time or money and effort up front can change the conversation. You said something interesting. We're talking quite transactionally right now, but if we use this concepts, it can actually be quite transformational. It's a relatively simple message. Measure the loss and how much should you have spent to prevent it happening. That's relatively mm. simple. Mm. If you start to get behind that, you just said there about doing you know, the pre-job stuff. Mm. Great. And I think a lot of people listening to this might say, well, we do that. Of course we do that. You're meant to do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure everyone does. But they say, well, okay, how good a job are we doing of that? And that's when it's, that's when exactly. you might, I think, energized because I <laughs> keep it simple. You know, mm. How good a job am I doing as, as a leader of that in terms of communicating the message? Are people actually really engaged with the message or are we just going through the motions as usual? Are they in the room but not in the message type of thing and listening to what we're saying? Mm. And, and am I thinking about that? Now, now what's the cost of that? It's no more, it's no more time cost. There's certainly no implication in terms of you having to spend money. This is about working on self a little bit. So suddenly the blue money is a slightly more interesting conversation about what are you doing that's blue <laughs> to yourself to, to make your interaction with your team better so that you'll be more preventative, you know? And I think it, it just made me think of a couple of other things. You know, how much assumption sits in all of this, you know? So what biases and assumptions do we bring to that conversation, even if it's in our own heads? Um, and as leaders, you know, how much of our listening to our listening are we into? And also we need to consider the... Ah, it's one of those moments. I had a really good idea and it just <laughs> left. <laughs> it just went out the window. Um, it'll come back. It'll come back. I'm sure there was something really profound there that I've just completely <laughs> forgot, just left me. Yeah, it's been a bit of a morning like that, actually. But in amongst all, all of this, you have levels, don't you? You have, you have people, yes. senior people, and, and their transformational blue money spend is kind of visionary and all of that type of thing. But on a day-to-day, we spend time with people who are in, not necessarily supervisors, but are in supervisory type yeah. roles. In other words, they've got a team that needs to get from A to B. They've got tasks that need to be completed. Mm. And they've got a project that's, that's hitting a deadline or a budget and so on and so forth. And so th- those day-to-day pressures steal the, the what we've now labeled blue money activities because you know we're forced to being almost reactive again and and it's really easy to, 
difficult just to have the resource to do that. But actually, we're not saying you need any more resource. No, um, exactly. You just need to think about how you're doing it. Yeah. It's funny, I was having some conversations with Nuala over the last couple of days. She's got a one of the teams is struggling on site and they've got some interpersonal issues in terms of interrelational issues. And there's a little bit of moaning and the groaning going on. And in the end, she just said, you can moan and complain about all of that all you like, but what are you actually doing? What are you doing? So it's how can you be more proactive to change the situation? instead of looking always for someone else to solve the problem. I came back to my thought that was flittering about out there. I, I think blue money, uh, this, this conversation around red, green, blue money, can also be attributed to what I call conversational waste. Think about those conversations that people have, whether it's a team meeting, whether it's a pre-job meeting, whatever it is. You know, you said something earlier about our leaders making sure that they are clear in their messaging. Are they getting the job done? Are the instructions the first time around being understood? And of course, the more multicultural the environment, the more complex that becomes. So one of the greatest hidden costs within any organization across any industry is what we call conversational waste. How many times do you have to repeat yourself? How many times do you think they understood you, but they didn't? Or we think we've been understood. And to me, you could attribute that back to this red-green money scenario. I've got a little vision of the diagram building in my head at the minute about what's the real cost of this stuff. You know, if the conversation's gone wrong, then that could end up in the red or the green. So it's worth putting that extra energy in as leaders, as safety leaders, to spending that extra moment, that extra time reducing conversational waste. Now, that doesn't cost any extra time or money, really. In fact, it becomes more efficient, if you like. I know it's not your favorite word. Absolutely, because it's the outcome that's important here. That's the key. Conversations that matter are where we're at. So let us know what you want to chat about. Mail us at hello at safetycollaborations.com and we'll get back to you. Okay, now on with the show. I was just thinking that mm. it's what you and I do when we run a workshop. At, we don't use the language, but our concern is that we're not lost. In other words, we don't want it to go wrong. We don't want people to fail in the process. We don't want people not to get what we want out of a workshop. So we do a lot of effort up front mm. to ensure that the conversation works, to ensure that people feel okay about contributing so mm. they know how, how space works when we're using that with them and, and so on and so forth. That's mm-hmm. all blue money spend. Absolutely. And I think some people are a little bit frustrated. Why haven't we started yet? Well, actually, we have started. This is incredibly important stuff because at some point in the conversations, there's going to be a moment which is a bit difficult. And because we did all that preventative stuff, that difficulty will be all right. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll come out the other end. It's funny, things like team agreements and rules of engagement and these words that we use are all part of this. So you're right in what you said. It's not about looking for big swaths of time or money or energy. We're looking for that little 1% change, actually, which can be what we consider the blue money. What's the 1% difference that we can make as individuals or as leaders or with your team that can be in that blue zone. Maybe we should call them zones. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. The money piece is where it hijacks the story a little bit. It does a little bit, yeah. yeah. Maybe we'll call them yeah. zones after this, but yeah. yeah. Well, well, there's a yeah. simple little story on that from one of the clients you know, I've been working with yeah. uh, from one of the sessions was 
that somebody was going to work harder on the weekly safety meeting. Mm. So um, they decided that they were trying to hand that over to the group. And the way of handing over to the group was, is there anything you want to talk about? Is there anything you think we should be addressing from a safety perspective? Greeted with a resounding silence. Yes. <laughs> nothing came out of that meeting. So we were talking afterwards about why that might be. And and of course, the reason why that might be was people had never been asked that question before. And secondly, they were probably sitting there thinking, well, well, am I meant to speak now? Am I meant to say something? I'm not sure, feeling a little bit uncomfortable. Mm. So we decided next week, ask the question, but instead of expecting people to say anything, hand out some bits of paper and say, well, Write down what you're thinking, write down some ideas, and I'll collect them in. They were inundated. Yes. So suddenly, to use our analogy of blue money, that's money better spent. We worked that little process more effectively for the outcome we were looking at. So that's me thinking, well, that's a more proactive approach than the other one. Um, because, of course, what we simply say, since, well, there are no safety issues because nobody said anything usual. You know, silence is consent. <laughs> um, so we carry on. You know. So I think what you touched on there is to not think there is only one approach. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, there's many ways to to approach something to be more effective, proactive, and it's more often than not it's the smaller things. It's not the big grandiose uh, actions that are needed. It's the smaller moments. And from that facilitation perspective, it was shifting it from, okay, everybody just speak to, okay, go into your own processing time, your own mind, using pen and paper, which you can still do even if you're virtual. Or in the in our case, we have the platform that we use, you know, people type lots of information into that. So I think that was the important thing there is it doesn't have to be huge change. It's just thinking about it. It's how do we reduce waste in conversations? How can we give people a little more time to think because we all process differently? Uh, Sometimes it can be those smaller, seemingly easy, but not always easy to do elements that could be attributed to the now known as the blue zone. (laughs) Starting then to creep towards the answer to the question you posed, mm-hmm. which was why don't people spend the time and effort to be more proactive? Mm. Why do we like being reactive? Of course, the answer to why we like being reactive is because we see some results. Whether they're the right ones doesn't matter. Exactly. Um, of course, as soon as we try to be proactive, well, actually, the results are not that visible. It's like That was a very proactive decision to improve and engage in the, this weekly safety meetings. It didn't work. So you're not going to do that again. Uh, Mm. Well, I'm not going to go there. They Mm. find all sorts of reasons not to have the meeting and do something reactive. Mm. Um, So we need to find uh, some wins, some positive feedback, some effectiveness that makes us feel good about what we're doing and and see some results from it. Usual usual stuff, isn't it? Then we kind of keep going with it. We're willing to try again to do something else. And as you say, it doesn't have to be a massive, massive change. It's a ridiculous story for for you that's coming to my head. Mm. And I don't know what its relevance until I start saying it. So I'm going to start saying it. My, <laughs> um, my mother always wanted to write a novel. Um, her sister had been a novelist. So I think she was kind of challenged by that a little bit. Mm. And I remember having a conversation with her about it. And, and she was she had this, oh, I'm going to write a novel. Big, huge challenge. Mm. Of course, she never started. I said, well, 
eventually talk about it again, say, Mum, you're never going to write a novel, but I bet you could write one page a day. So it's like that, what's the one small thing that you can do that actually over time suddenly becomes really quite powerful? Um, uh, just to say she never did write that one page either. Oh, right. But, you know, <laughs> well, a, there still has to be a desire you know, in there somewhere, you know. Yes, of course. <laughs> and then you, you come back to that, that sometimes missing ingredient from the, the blue zone, as we've now called it, is yeah. that, that desire to want to be more. To make the, to be the change we want to see. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Maybe we're sounding a little bit negative about all of this. No, we're not. It's just a puzzling question because we, you know, mm. I said it was a sort of traditional, oft spoken about safety issue, and it's still spoken about. It's not as if it's gone away. And so it's like one of those quizzical questions. I think, well, why is it people won't do it? Uh, because we're human beings. So that conversation is never going to go yeah. away. So I think you're right. It's about no. how do we reflect a little bit on ourselves? So maybe this is the invitation at the end of this episode is the invitation is to think about how can you be more in the blue zone rather than, mm-hmm. you know, the red or the green. Interesting for me, green is always the really positive colour. So I find it a little bit, which green is, but it's actually, <laughs> it's a safety net in this case because you don't really it's the what if question the green here i'm gonna ask you a question because i can't remember are you familiar with edward bono's thinking hats no i'll have to think about i can't remember what blue hat was i used to have it plonked up here somewhere i think the blue hat was about what could happen thinking forward i think but Mm. don't quote me on that Oh, well, if you're listening to this and you know what the six hats are, let us know in the show notes. There's a chat bot on our website. Give us some insight into the the Bono's six thinking hats and what's the blue hat. Is it the same as our blue zone slash money conversation? So just to wrap this one up, Andrew, if you were going to summarize the red, the green and the blue zones, how would you Mm -hmm. summarize it? Well, I think hidden away in this, there's a, a a little bit of a challenge that says, well, what do you need to do to be more blue? Exactly. Um, and that's not necessarily about having to spend a lot of time and effort. It might be about just simply changing how you approach being proactive and doing things slightly differently and that mm-hmm. having a more fundamental, more profound effect on, on, on the outcome. And, you know, I think that's where the work that we do becomes really helpful. I think everybody, you know, we, we get into our routines and our ways of being and our ways of doing things, and we sometimes don't see the opportunity outside of that. So we as facilitators and coaches can help in those conversations. So feel free to reach out to us if you want a little conversation about that. We'd be more than delighted to help. With that, thank you again for being my co-host this week. Uh, Thank you. It's lovely. We like to have these conversations. So, and thank you, our listeners, for joining us today. It's always lovely to have conversations that matter. Feel free to connect with us on our website, safetycollaborations.com, and you will also find the show notes for this episode. We tend to put a lot of effort into the show notes. They are not just transcripts. I'm actually trying to rename them into pod blogs because they're really quite useful information. So leave us a message on the free chat. Follow us on LinkedIn, and if you enjoyed this podcast, please, please, please help us spread the word by following us on your favorite podcast platforms and sharing it with others. And so, again, thank you, Andrew. Until next week, stay safe and stay well. Bye.